Connors T. How are ye? My name is Aaron, and today is a very special episode because not only am I sitting down with my sister Sorica, but also we have the Fireside Bard, Kevin C. Olin. Kevin, how are you getting on? I'm very good. Very delighted to be here on your hundredth episode, no less. Yeah. Actual hundredth as well. Actual yeah. Because <laughs> we we lost a thirty-seven there or somewhere. We didn't do R.I.P. Thirty-seven. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Let's just let's just pretend that it is a mysterious lost episode. We recorded a myth yeah. that was so powerful it distorted the recording equipment and had to be had to be shelved. So such sure. time as humanity was ready for it. So we, we it now faded have... back into the mist. Oh yeah, yeah. It's gone. It's just, yeah. Yeah. At least at least now we have like not only a hundredth, but a hundredth again episode. And you're in both of them. So you're definitely in the hundredth episode, <laughs> no matter what, which is very important, Kevin. It's great to have you because like you're a, a homegrown. I, I live very close to Wicklow and you you're from Wicklow yourself, as you mm-hmm. say say uh, numerously mm-hmm. on your own podcast. You're a performer, an actor, a theater maker, a musician, a singer, the whole lot. You've got it all. You're kind of a fully rounded individual. It's fucking intimidating, uh, but that's great. <laughs> and um, your podcast has a, a whole wealth of um, knowledge and stories, which is great because you talk about them afterwards as well as um, telling stories. And when we were talking, we we're like, we'd love to have a little bit of a, a link up with all the storytelling kind of things that are going on in Ireland. And, and we know half the same people, turns out, because we're mm. in the same thing and not doing all the same stuff. And, and it's actually small community. in yeah. Ireland. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was National or Global Theatre Day yesterday. Mm. And everyone had to fucking go back and look at how lovely it was to be in theatres. Kevin, uh, how much do you miss live theatre? I think, like, yourself and myself, Aaron, we did the, the Abbey Calling gig just before Christmas where we, for folks at home, it was where we rang up people around the country and delivered pieces of of drama and poetry to people, audience members over the phone, kind of bespoke performances for individual people. And it was such an incredible thing to do because you were calling up these strangers around the place and like actually connecting with them live, you know, and it was, it was the live nature of it because we've all kind of, become more dependent on on producing videos for people to watch later and all but the reminder of that live feeling even though it was just over the phone really reminded me of how much I had missed it and just how ready audiences are as well for it to come back or anything yeah exactly it's good to know that it's not just us who miss doing it like people do know they miss it as well to experience it Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's mad looking back at actual just photographs, the reams of stuff that were getting posted yesterday, just photographs of performances of theatres, of live stuff. And like, we, you know, we've got to the point where we're kind of nearly used to lockdown now and used to not having things yeah. open. And we're used to this level of kind of uh, society kind of turned down. And all of a sudden we're going to go, oh, whoa, whoa, hang on. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that connectivity and that connection to the arts and artists mm-hmm. and, and a, a way to really authentically kind of create stuff with a community. So I think that's really important to remember at least that those things exist and hope uh, hope that they will be able to come back with full strength in the future. Um, yeah, for sure. Crossed. Um, so come here, we, we have before we jump into the, the post-show chat uh, about... Uh, the Voyage of Bran. 
Uh, we got a very strange message at the very start of this, right? Very strange. Yes. So a woman has reported to me that now I didn't know this. I looked it up beforehand, but there is a Queen Raven from London Tower missing. Now, if anyone, any listeners know about this and have more information with this, she is suspected to be dead. God rest the Queen. And also, if anyone else knows anything about this, she's connected to the voyage of Bran somehow. Maybe she's gone off to the other world. Who knows? Maybe she's just gone off to see the island of women because let's face it. I don't know if this is her now. (laughs) (laughs) Never like to be too far away. (laughs) There you go. That's where she is. Mystery solved. (laughs) Right. Okay. Thank God we got that one down. The connection was she wanted to hear the voyage of Bran told by the fireside bard. And so she just decided to turn up at Kevin. <laughs> so this was a really cool story to hear you tell us because Surik and I, before we started Candle of Tales, we tried to write a play for the very first time. And the very first play that we wrote was based on Irish mythology. And we called it The Voyage of Brian because we changed it slightly, but it was basically The Voyage of Brian with cloaks and uh, with a lot of crap. But it was, <laughs> it was fun. Everything needs more cloaks. Everything needs more cloaks. These cloaks turned yeah. people into rocks. They were pretty cool. Mm. Oh, wow. Ah. So, Surika, maybe do you want to give us a beat by beat real quick summary of this story before we launch into it for listeners at home that might not have fully taken all the story in? So just. Yeah, just in case people got a little bit lost in it. It's it's um, a king called Bran who hears beautiful music and is given in what seems to be a dream, a silver branch by a beautiful woman who then disappears comes back into his hall and asks everybody what the hell this branch is and everybody says I don't know and then she comes into the hall and takes it and says you know come find me if you're man enough kind of (laughs) and then leaves disappears and the king decides to go and try and find her so he he gets a boat ready he cruise it and he sets off into the wide blue yonder with absolutely no plan and no idea of where he's going they run again. They run up against the um, the island of laughter, which actually is one of the ones that comes up in almost all of these voyage stories. Is this island of like, sometimes it's called the island of mirth or of joy as well, and it's just this place of hysterical laughter, like no one on it can do anything but laugh. And he loses a crew member there because somebody gets very insulted that they're laughing at the king of Ireland. Uh, but they find their way then to the island of women, which is a kind of a paradise. Uh, there's no conflict, there's no strife, there's no arguments, there's just ease and comfort and bounty and lovely women and they all Love. settle in. They all had lovely bums, they all had lovely bums. They all, they all are lovely girls and they all have lovely <laughs> bottoms. Um, and, and the crew like settle in for a bit for what feels like a year, but one of them, a guy called Nocton, is really, really, really homesick. And like spurs the others to say, no, we need to go back. So they eventually set off. Uh, There's a whole yarn ball bit that happens either at the beginning of them getting there or when they're trying to leave, depending on the version you read. Um, But they eventually get back to Ireland and it turns out thousands of years have passed. And in the middle of it, the bit that always kind of sticks out to me because it it I tend to f- either forget it or spend too long on it is this encounter that they have with Manon on MacLear. As they're sailing out into the other world, um, the sea god Manon on MacLear just shows up in a chariot and describes to them 
that the world is not as it seems. And actually, you did a lovely thing in this telling, Kevin, where you put that verse at the beginning, mm, really? because it's it's really it's always ones that I, that I've found tricky because it kind of breaks up the pacing of the story in a really weird way. Because he comes mm-hmm. up and he like sings this whole like this whole chanted song at them. Um, yeah, which is really cool. <laughs> so there's some there's some abstract imagery in that. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, Beautiful though, it's really interesting. I, I like even how he's like, and if you can maybe make sense of that, let me know because I don't know what it's on about. Um, because it is a little bit uh, confusing. Uh, but it's we beautiful. do it's so poetic. in cases like that, you know, I, I usually just adapt, try to adapt the stories entirely in my own words. But like so often, especially with the myths, you know, these were written and translated by poets, and sometimes. Sometimes the poetry just kind of gets us better than you could and you just can't resist. And I was like, with that particularly, I went, that passage is not something I can do as as, as beautifully as that. And I just wanted to include it there at the beginning. Yeah. That then when by the time you get to that point in the story, you're like, oh, I've heard this already before. And it kind of adds to the experience of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I really liked that. I thought that was I thought that was a great, a great way of doing it. Um, and, and, and I remember this is one that um, sorry, this is one that uh, that Sandy Dunlop in, in Bard Mythologies has a great fondness for because he reckons it's a kind of a, an encounter with the divine and that rather mm-hmm. than coming down with like fire and thunder and tablets of stone with rules in the Mananon McLear is uh, like, here is a different way of seeing things. Here is here yeah. is something deeper that's going on under the surface and do with that what you will. I'm off see it <laughs> like he just kind of pieces out after that and he's not in the story yeah. oh do you know where he's going though we found this out when we were doing the king to be, story to be the hairy baby maker yes <laughs> it's so random <laughs> that's I'm where he's yeah. going i'm off now <laughs> yeah off to father a king he says so <laughs> for anybody who's not making that connection, that is that is the, the birth story of King Mongan, which is, I don't know what episode it is, but I know it's an episode we did. Somewhere <laughs> down there, we'll find it. Um, so like, yeah, cool. But like, it, it's, it's one of those mental stories. And I guess, you know, we, we always, we piece it together. We chat about how we piece it together. Kevin, in terms of the number of sources you looked at or how you decided to piece this together, can you, can you talk about your process and how you do it and how you've done this one? I know you kind of put that beautiful piece up to the top and made it kind of more artistic. Is there is there a number of versions that you use for this or what's the crack with that? This was quite an interesting one to adapt, particularly. I, I think it was the 102nd episode I did because this is this is one of those stories that doesn't tie in naturally with like the four cycles. It's kind of exists on its own a little bit. And I, I read an incredible book uh, called Ireland's Immortals, which I only discovered kind of in the last year or so, right, uh, by an Oxford professor called uh, Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. And he talks an awful lot about, in the early stages, two particular stories. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't read it, you cannot read a better book. It's <laughs> um, class. It's, it's yeah, class. It's, it's like, it's so dense, but so clear and entertaining. Like, uh, it's Pretty great. Dense. I... <laughs> I interview I interviewed Mark um, over Zoom before Christmas. Um, I'm hopefully going to release that soon enough. Um, but he talks a lot early on in the book about these two stories, the adventure of Conla and the voyage of Bran, as the two actually earliest stories we have texts for. 
And the Voyage of Bran is actually the very first, very earliest mention of one of the Tua de Danann. So Manon and McLear is actually the very first god that we meet. Yeah. Because for the most part, like, we don't know which of the Tua de Danann were worshipped as gods and which were perceived as heroes because of those Christian monks who like to just kind of indoctrinate it all and kind of tone it down. But Mananin is one of those ones we like are fairly certain was worshipped as a god. And so that was a really interesting way to come into this story, to have an appreciation for this encounter, which, like you said, you'd kind of almost forget as a part of it, because it is like this cameo appearance, essentially, (laughs) as he's on his way to another story, you know? (laughs) But so that was the way in. So Mark Williams' version was the way in, and then, yeah, it went through the, the usual Yates and Lady Gregory routes, and then... I mean, I'd be interested to hear like how ye adapt as well in terms of, I try to kind of read, I try to see in how few readings of another source I can then tell my own version of. Because mm. I think like the really strong stories, they just kind of get in there, you know? And it's yeah. like you have the skeleton of them within you. And then I try to just kind of go off on my own and see what naturally comes. Mm. Because I feel because I do alternate, I do folktale one week and myths the next week. There's kind of a more freedom with the folktales because you feel less bound to a to a mythology. Mm-hmm. Like when you change when you change or add something to one of your myths, you know, you feel like, oh, I need to back this up. You know, I I remember doing the story of Tirna Nog, and because that's one that's so famous and and so many grew up with. And I remember it was the one time I had people writing and going, that's not the version I know. <laughs> like like it was wrong you know like mm-hmm. not like it was just a different version so it's amazing the the ownership that people do feel and attachments to stories like this yeah um, i think i think the the kind of mythology like the importance that mythology has it's always something that's a little bit like um yeah. Yeah, we're like we're pretty upfront about we're going to be adapting it and moving it but i think what you said about um trying to get it in as few readings as possible. Like we mm-hmm. worked that out on stage pretty early on that if a detail, if there was a detail that you were struggling to remember, you were, it was a stronger story if you just dropped it. Like if there oh, were wow. bits of the That's story. Yeah. So it was like, it, it's kind of like you're, you've got a, you've got a, that sort of skeleton structure intuitively hooks into some bit of your brain. It's like yeah. stories have a kind of a grammar. And so if there's a weird extra bit you're better off just kind of going, all right, you know what? If it doesn't fit in this telling that I'm doing. And like, sometimes yeah. that will change because sometimes you'll be telling a story with a different emphasis or you'll be bringing a different character to the fore. And then you'll want to include maybe a detail that you dropped in another mm-hmm. version because it fits now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, that's kind of, that's a, that's that's interesting to hear you say that because I think that's a, that's a kind of a similar little thing that we've both intuited our way yeah. towards. <laughs> I, I, I mean, started I, calling it. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead there, Kevin. I was just saying, I, I started calling it kind of like the patchwork quilt of Irish mythology because you're kind of, once you kind of do a, a journey through the four cycles and then you start filling in the gaps with, with these other stories, you're like, oh, this is all where it starts to fit together. And yet that little yeah. detail that I didn't get and adapt in a previous story, that detail that jarred with me that didn't quite work. It's like, oh, I actually wish I had included that now because I realized that's that. Because yeah. that's, yes. 
And you, I mean, the the four cycles, I mean, we were, we were talking about that in our storytelling course recently as well, that like, that's a, that's a kind of way of modern readers to make sense of Irish mythology. I don't think that's a thing that the people who told these stories originally actually used. Yeah. I don't know if that's parameters almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's kind of, they do like, they do all bleed together in that way. And they're not like. I mean, there's a story of Cú Cullen and Fionn McCool having a fight in the Donegal Hills over Scotland. <laughs> like, I haven't come, I haven't like found a proper version of it yet. I want to tell it at some point, but like, they're they're very <laughs> interwoven, and yet we yeah. we do kind of for for legibility's sake, we pull them apart into those four kind of cycles of the the kings and the Fianna and the Ulster and the mythological. Um, but actually, that's something that that. Uh, was a connection that we made when we were doing the Battle of Entry story because there is a character in the story of the Battle of Entry who's a young hero and his father is Bran McFeol, King of Tara Lucra. Now he's not oh, the wow. High King yeah, but he's got the same name and he's the King of Tara Lucra instead of the King of Tara and I just kind of was like is, is that Bran? Same <laughs> like, dude. Is he older like than we thought he was? <laughs> is is this his like retirement cruise? What the <laughs> f- like? I got very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, um, and, like seeing an actor, you know, in a film, you're like, is that, ah, that dude, is that your man? It's yourself. <laughs> I I think what you could talk about there, the patchwork quilt, is definitely like something, and I think the bigger. Uh, an awareness you have of the background of any story, even like the, you know, whatever is going on in the world of the Fianna, what, what, what is their moral compass, who their leader is, all that kind of stuff. That then helps you, if you hear a Fianna story, put it back into that kind of framework and that kind of forest or whatever of, of information. And the you can build up the, the plots within that. And as a storyteller, get more comfortable with those beats yeah. and add, mm-hmm. add in what you already know about it. Like, you know, you, you, I could tell a Fianna story so much easier than probably uh, a King story because I, I, I'm like, oh, fuck, hang on. What, what's going on with the kingship here? Who is the king related to? Actually, what's yeah. the story of Ireland? I don't quite know. Whereas yeah. with the Fianna, tell me anything, tell me one, one story about any one of the heroes and I'll be able to bring in a few of the other characters probably or, you know, yeah. work it some way. Um, and it's it's that amazing patchwork quilt, as you say, mm-hmm. kind of, of, of back backup knowledge and information that helps you inform the telling. And I, I think yeah. it's fantastic to hear another, anyone put these stories together. Everyone uh, that I've, I've ever come kind of seen or heard on our course as well do the piecing it together from text back into oral talking it out loud finding the holes finding where it's kind of not making sense where the written word has really just sucked the energy out of the out of the and the flow out of the out of the story and then bringing it back into some way to be alive and speak it and, and talk it out loud and these voice yeah. stories are bizarre because they don't quite fit, like we say, into these any of these cycles. And we thought we couldn't ever do any of the voyages together because they're all the fucking same. You know, they go off and they come back and they die. They go off, they come back and they die. They go off and come back and they die. Well, you know, this one, this and one he goes off. we never saw them again. This one is slightly different because he goes off and he comes back and then he bounces back out into the other world again. And he's probably, he's presumably still sailing around there at some point. Or he found the island of women again. Or they're all laughing hysterically on the island of Mirth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are all minor, minor, um, like 
obvious changes, but essentially they're using the same islands. They're kind of using the same yeah. quilt, I guess, on on this mm-hmm. version. You know, and it's just bizarre. It's but the same tail type, yeah. Like it is, like and like the, the grims and the archetype tails, like yeah. And there's there's one there's one of a king's son whose name I can't remember. Uh, who's like this beautiful red-haired boy, and a woman comes and sings to him and tells him about the island of women, and he leaves with her. And it's exactly the same beginning as the voyage of Bran, except he just doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just oh, he no. just leaves for good, and that's it. And yeah, there's lots of there's so many of the voyage stories, and Oshin and Tirnanog, I think, is is kind of of that body of stories, yeah. in that the otherworldly woman shows up and says, "Hey, come with me to where there's no stress at all," and yeah, he goes for it. And then he has the same thing that they have in the voyage, of Bran, where you come back and hundreds of years have passed, and Ireland has changed, and you turn to dust if you touch the ground. Um, which was why we built the kind of built the month around the O'Shean and Patrick story that we were doing. But you had that as well, Aaron, with the voyage of Brendan or Brandon, because oh, well, that was um, whoops, uh, yeah, like that was the exact same thing that happened with the voyage of Brendan and uh, the voyage of Maeldoon. They're nearly identical. Like. They basically, I'm not sure, which, I couldn't find which one came first because they basically got put on top of each other and all of the islands, uh, the exact same thing happens with the brothers, which is so three more brothers jump on the boat when it's, then they see his number is supposed to be only 17. So they have 20 and, uh, you know, and uh, same with, um, uh, you know, Bran has the foster brothers on his boat, but maybe it's not too many, maybe it's three, you know, but they lo- lose the brothers. Yeah. And then they, so it's this kind of like the numbers are really specific. That's a really crucial thing. There are a number of islands that are quite definitely in the other world that they seem to kind of know about that they crop up and again, and again, and time moves differently. And then the protagonist changes but the ultimate kind of escape from reality, escape to the other world that, is the kind of is the same and the sheer and utter terror that like is in those islands and the other world like it's just fucking terrifying i don't yeah. care what you say like giant yeah. ants and flaming coals getting thrown at you by giant blacksmiths and horses that eat each other oh. all this matches my favorite you know? is the revolving beast like that's the weirdest image i've ever come across in my life <laughs> it is a beast that runs around and around an island and then turns around inside of its own skin and oh wow! They just see it, and they go, "Nah," and they go nah. past. Keep going. No. Nope. 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 And like, what? What a, what a thing to have in a mythology story that again is just like not really connected to anything. Not really good. Anyway, sorry, so, Aaron. You were gonna say? No, you're grand. You're grand. I mean, like, so I, I mean, I'm trying to get my head around what, what these voyage stories are, and you're kind of helping me out here, right? You know, and I guess uh, there's a beautiful little bit in, in this, Kevin, when you had. The king off and the, the description of the image and, and the fairy woman that he had. Well, I loved it. it, it she's more vines and, and made of trees and leaves, and he, he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And yeah, can you paint us through or walk us through this little bit? Like, what's going on for Bran, first of all? And then, what's this kind of intrusion upon his serenity? Yeah, it's, I think there's so, it's such a trope of, you know, this beautiful woman emerging from the mist, you know, so if you do more and more of these stories, you kind of want to make each one more individual and make, you know, actually make it feel like a real person, you know, that has, that has come through to him. Um, 
I just really liked, yeah, I liked this idea that he had never had a chance to have solitude himself. This idea of putting this, this kind of burden of the kingship on him. And I love that there's this gift given of this branch, you know, there's so much, there's like, I, I love that our mythology is kind of entirely built around trees, like the Ohm alphabet, all revolving around like and having individual trees associated with them they're so so deeply rooted uh, into us and I love the idea of this gift being given and then taken back you know <laughs> you get that a bit in the adventure and like that he's powerless to take it back from her and lose it and that like really kind of captured me it's not like oh come follow me and 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 i will give you this thing it's like he's had the taste of it like he's had the apple in his hands and it's more like chase it because that's what i think is a slightly different in this one it's like it's taste it's chasing something he has tasted and yeah. has to have more of it, it's you an know? Interesting... like the thing he didn't know he was missing it's a brilliant way to go because otherwise i kind of come across with like brands a really shit king uh... <laughs> <laughs> Off he goes. Listen, <laughs> we know this from other Irish stories that the process of choosing a king was not perfect. You know, we had a couple of people <laughs> telling us that the kingship of Brest the other day when we had our kind oh, of yeah. storytelling student. Like some of them are not good rulers. And it's kind of like, I think that's a really kind of interesting thing about Irish mythology is that there isn't a sense of like, well, the king is the right king. And therefore, like, Okay, when the yeah. king is the right king, everything is all great because they talk about that in the Cormac McGart story. But like, it's not a given that the king is going to be the right king, you know? No, yeah. And, and like sometimes... There were, three, there were 300 kingdoms in Ireland, you know, in the Bran laws. Like there was so many kings, it meant so little. There was a high king, but it was nearly entirely ceremonial until yeah. Brian Baru, you yeah. know? It was, a figure, it was a figurehead position, you know? So... That's what's totally. also great about us, that there's so many of these imperfect kings. You know? Yeah, and like, there's no massive divine right to rule. And like the no. highest, there's like, I, I, that always fascinates me as well, is that there's this, the different ranks of kings and the different hmm. ranks of lords and some lords outrank some kings. And then you also <laughs> have the different ranks of the of the philid, the poets, and like the highest rank, the, the, the philid olive is the same rank as the high king. So you can yep. have a poet that's higher status than a lord, that's yeah. higher status than a king. <laughs> and it like, it all kind of gets, and then you can also have the opposite. Like the, the, the job is not the rank. It must have been incredibly complex Very socially confusing. to navigate. Kieran <laughs> Carson talks about this in the intro to his adaptation of the Tawn, talking about like the power of the poet and, he paints this image that they were essentially like biker gangs, you know, <laughs> that's like the poets just kind of tore around the country and demanded to be uh, to be hosted and to be entertained because the most terrifying thing to a king was satire, was a bad <laughs> word spoken about you that like words literally could tear up. Like, I suppose like this, that hasn't changed really, but the idea then, you know? <laughs> Oh, well, like you could, you could see it, and like there are stories as well about the kind of unscrupulous storytellers who who come and and like hold a king hostage. There's yeah. one, there's a Mongan story where he gets in an argument with a poet about where somebody was killed, and the poet is mm. like, "You, you need to either give me your wife, or admit <laughs> that I'm wrong 
or I'm I'm satirizing you for daring to contradict me. And it ends up being Quilton McRonan shows up from the other world to say, no, no, the king is right and the poet is wrong and the poet has to back down. But that's what it takes. This yeah, poet is like, nah, you fucking contradicted me, sunshine. I'm taking your wife. Like that's the power. Fair. And this was a this yeah. was a king of Ulster. This is a king of a province. Like um, yeah. we had it was a the, couple of comments. The, yeah. Um great collaboration. Thanks, Joan. Ash, look who it is. Hey Finn. Hey Kev uh, Kevin from Toronto. There you go. Mark, uh wondering yeah. if uh this was the same story as the Voyage of Mail Dune. It's not. Wait till next week. And uh nothing out there revolved. Um <laughs> no, no that. Do I read that there, Sirica? I've lost the will and ability. <laughs> Noping out of the revolving beast seems like an altogether sensible thing to do. I've always thought so. There you go. There's, there's uh, curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for writing in, guys. We're yeah. doing this live just to see our faces, to look at, like, you know, people's faces, be animated. It's it's quite nice. I quite like it. Um, yeah. And we'll have... Uh, really more live stuff as we go but look um, I guess I want to kind of talk about Mananan and the king of the mm. sea the god of the ocean he's an amazing figure in Irish mythology like well, I, we started off a couple of our live shows just kind of doing a bit just diving deep into Mananan and I guess he still eludes me like I still don't quite understand him and no more so than your the beautiful poem that you read at the start it, it elicits a reaction but I'm still no real, nowhere closer to understanding well, what the fuck is his deal. Um, <laughs> I think I think part of his deal is being as deep and mysterious as the ocean, and therefore yeah. <laughs> somewhat deliberately incomprehensible. But there's an interesting thing you were saying there earlier, Kevin, about how he's like one of the ones that is like indisputably worshipped. And I yeah. know Oshin was doing a rake of research into Mananon a while back for one of our live shows. And found, I cannot remember where he found it, but he found some suggestion that Mananon is not actually one of the two a day at all. He's actually an older deity. Um, and there are some accounts of the Battle of Taltu where the, the Celts fought the two a day and the two a day went underground, where Mananon shook his cloak between the two armies, which he had this magic cloak that if it was shaken between two people, they could never meet again. And him shaking his cloak between the two armies like created the other world. And that's why there's this like weird parallel universe thing that's like interweaving. Isn't it cool? And like, look at me, he has the the boat um, scooped and he has Fragrick, the horse that runs over water. The scooped and it will bring you to anywhere in a breath. Um, he has the fragrant, the answerer, the sword of which oh, yeah. we should always just get answers or else kill people. And an invisibility cloak. Like he basically has all of the cool shit from Harry Potter and isn't sharing. <laughs> um, he shares it. He shares it a lot. He, he like Fragger goes gets around. Like yeah, Lou uh, has Fragorak for a while, doesn't he? <laughs> Lou has Fragorak for a while. Um, your man in the the Deirdre of the Sorrows, Nisha, has Fragorak because he's a he's a foster son of Mananon. That's the sword that's used to behead the sons of Ishnak because it's Nisha's sword. Is, is it the sons of Tyr and they ask him for 
the horse first and he says no and then they ask for the boat yeah he has to give it to him it's like oh you you got me love those like folktale (laughs) rules you know (laughs) it's like you can't can't recuse the second request god damn it yeah two questions (laughs) as if that never came up in court before like is it (laughs) that one like and i'm gonna ask you for a second thing no i'm terrified like yeah just say no no scarily enough that people will run away (laughs) so like i guess manan seems to be like somewhere between a primordial being and this you know, ever kind of interrupting kind of, you know, he's such a good God, you know, a lot of ways he inter- he intervenes, but not in a menacing way. He tends to show people the way of wisdom and, and basically mm-hmm. be kind of a guiding figure in mythology, but he's, mm-hmm. so he's, he signifies kind of more than the two of the Dana never really do because they seem to just kind of fuck about the place and he kind of stands above them. Well, he's morally? also I like I don't know if morally is is necessarily the way because like he's a he's not morally shiny great like no he's a devil he's a devil <laughs> yeah. and he's a trickster absolutely and like but he is he is a lot more involved than a lot of the two of Danon who generally yeah. sit in their hills and don't intervene in mortal affairs whereas Mananon seems to be continually tinkering but like even when he's showing people the way of wisdom it's usually not, hi, I'm going to teach you some stuff. Like the Cormac McCart story where he's just like, I'm going to kidnap your whole family and make you follow me. And then maybe you learn some shit and maybe you don't. <laughs> you know, he's he is. Yeah, he's yeah. absolutely a devil. Do you have any specific I, take of him, Kevin? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are a small island. You know, we are surrounded by the sea. Like you read that like in German folklore, the forest represented the other world, you know, that all of it was about being lost in the forest. And you look at like Polynesian uh, mythology is all more island based that the forest is the sea, you know, and going to the sea and never coming back. We kind of have both, you know, you have this running moral, certainly in like the folklore of like avoiding the open road and the danger of the open road and the risk of of falling into the other world. And then we have like Manonan has this incredibly imposing presence and this rule and dominion over so many of the other gods even that I think just just is explained and his his power seems to me explained by how small an island we are, mm. that there is no escape from him, you know. Mm. I, I think yeah, yeah, I love, surrounded like, by water. You, you're talking about like this cloak creating the other world that ties in really nice to to because I've always wondered why it was Mananan who he's the one who finds the homes for all of the two of Danan after that battle. It's really strange, like he becomes the real estate agent for the Dagda and everything. You know, <laughs> it's like you should live there, you yeah. know, beside this river. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of it kind of makes sense, and like I think that's a really interesting thing about like. Ireland is the right size of small island where like it's big enough that you can get lost in the forest, but it's small enough that you're never that far away from the ocean. So it's like both the forest and the ocean are these big, huge uh, natural forces that are too big for a person to deal with. And so we mythologize them and we bring in spirits and otherworldly stuff. Well, that's literally bringing me on to the next point, which is the other world is kind of so present in obviously Irish mythology because it's mythology and, you know, every culture has that. And we we imagine the, the, the unreal or the mythic and the great and the gods. But I guess the other world being attainable, 
bike of boat. Mm. Again, we're an island, so you know there must be a lot of a lot of islands off the coast, and we're kind of always looking around as if, especially if you go to the west, you're like looking at all these higgly piggly islands scattered around the place, as Tommy Tiernan said, scattered like a, a cream knocked off the top of a cake, um, which I did. <laughs> 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 which That's I can't ever poetry. forget. Um, <laughs> and I just love it because, but then, so you're wondering, like, okay, so there must be something more out there and that, that, that draw to go out to the big unknown and then the mist and the darkness and the sh- whatever it is, the other world seems to be so attainable in these stories, of course, but also when you kind of go out there and look for it. Um, and, and I guess what, what the other world really represents to people who listen mm-hmm. to these stories i'm i'm madly curious like mm-hmm. is this a way to, to completely just escapism or do we look for more in the other world the other islands of the other world is there more to, to scratch at the surface of it because stories like this do make it tangible yeah like like you said this like that this is a place that you can sail to mm-hmm. you know and it just makes me think when when the norse vikings found iceland first they thought they'd found valhalla because like they found this land of like volcanoes and geysers and it looked unlike any other place they found and they're like oh shit this is it (laughs) (laughs) this is not a drill it's real (laughs) i just imagine that same kind of mentality with these early irish voyagers and fishermen you know this was you know we had we probably had some sense of the size of the island even then Mm. And the, its proximity to other places that it could just, oh, we could accidentally sail to the other world. You know? I've, I've often thought about, you know, the the kind of Gulf Stream and the, the possibility of Irish fishermen getting washed all the way down to the Caribbean or somewhere like that, where like there are strange fruits and there are flowers and fruits on the tree at the same time. And there are giant ants, which you could see it getting from, yeah. you know, ant size to fucking the size of a dog in the telling. Like, you know, that, that maybe there's a little bit of like, some of that is influencing this as well. These stories brought back by travellers who were like swept away. Yeah. Uh, we have some more comments in the chat, actually. We'll... Cool, I'll read out a couple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Joan said that she read that too, that Manon is one of the gods, which always was, if you get my drift, one of the essential elements. And Mark oh, well. said, this is a fascinating discussion, really telling me a lot about Manon. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Sunbeast66, great name. Uh, tangentially related to Mananon and his view on the water slash land thing, I did read somewhere that the ancient Polynesian belief was that the land and islands are holes in the sea rather than the reverse. Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> we all really like that. The poetic. That's so Thank fucking you. cool. Thank that's amazing. Fucking beautiful. Um, um, Mark <laughs> came. Mark is was back and said he was watching Song of the Sea with Mananon in it, which is another modern oh, yes. reinterpretation of Mananon. He he is. He's and then Anna right. Santos from Portugal says cheers, and she loved the episode a lot. The Voyager Brand was one of the first Irish tales she ever read, and Kevin, it was absolutely fantastic. There oh, you thank go. you so much. There you go. Um, you that's lovely to hear from everybody. And before I, I mean, before we. You know, we got to end this conversation and I can get to the end of it. And the, the funniest thing for me is um, 
the, the, the island of laughter, the island of sorrow, these like these two inexplicably, well, not to mention the island of just women, by the way, let's not forget that. They're in the other yes. world <laughs> and like they see these islands of, of completely polarized. Like, so we're talking about the other world of being accessible and then these islands that are not something like a oh, completely insane island that just laughs because they've lost their senses of themselves. Is, is this like some sort of warning or something? Don't have too much fun. Yeah, it is a, it is a strange one. That, I remember thinking that, that I kind of love that we would think an island of mirth, of joy, of laughter, that this would be a really great thing, but it's terrifying. It's this hysteria, like, which is wonderful. And yeah, like, it might be that, Aaron, that it is just like, no, be careful now. Well, well, I think Bra- yeah, Bran is one of those very, like, it, that Chris, there's that Christian allegory quite on its sleeves in this story, you know. Uh, yeah. So maybe that is tied in with that, you know, have a bit I, of crack, but not too much. I too think much there's something, I think there's something in both of those, though, because it's both the positive emotion and the negative emotion. And it's that kind of thing of like, emotions can be extremely powerful and it can feel like it's going to go on forever and it can feel almost like there's a physical place and I kind of mm-hmm. love that about these islands of the other world that it makes physical and tangible and accessible um, and like geographical uh, an internal state and like a state of mind and like so you have mm. this island where we've all had that experience where you're laughing hysterically and you can't stop and your sides are hurting and you're crying and you're looking at each other going Jesus Christ am I actually ever and like there's that fleeting thought of like am I ever going to stop and like (laughs) I might die laughing I don't know I don't know why I'm laughing anymore um and and any funeral that I've ever been to for example yeah like strong emotions come out and like the same thing, the same thing with, don't with grief. Please don't laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start, shoulders start shaking. Just pretend crying. <laughs> yeah, but like it happens. It happens that you get kind of overwhelmed by these emotions. So I think it's really interesting that they make, that they're kind of made into a physical place. Mm. Because the thing about them as well is that they are actually escapable from. Mm. Uh, yeah. You can come back. And I think they're they're almost set up as like, you get stuck in here. And like, you can't let, like, don't let an emotion get too far away from you because you might get stuck on that, in that state for forever. But mm-hmm. there's actually that thing of like, you, 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 you won't actually. It's, it's the intensity will wash over you and you'll be able to come back out of it and you'll be, your friends will come by and, you know, wave at you and, and bring you back out of it again, whether it's laughter or grief. And like, yeah. it's not, it's not necessarily let that like, grief is bad and and laughter is good they're both equally um alluring in their different yeah. ways because you can get into that thing as well with with a bad mood where you're like no i'm just gonna sit here oh, in it yeah. just gonna lo- stew yeah. in it <laughs> yeah yeah a word of the warning to all of the old older you know irish people okay guys you're only allowed to have a mood for a while you can't sit in it for too long um, and <laughs> end up going demented and we lose you to the other world but, uh, but then we won't because we'll get you back again like you know we'll, there's, there's yeah. something I don't know I don't know if it's I don't know if it's um, I don't know if it's a moral kind of prescriptive thing or if it's oh. just a descriptive sometimes it feels like you are just moved in to the island of, of grief and you just live there and I think a lot of people this last year have been living on the island of grief for a bit oh yeah like yeah. just sitting in it and not able to get back out but you you can there's you know you, you can get back out 
get back I like to that idea nothing. of it being kind of destina- destination orientated. Like you go, you can go there, you can jump in there, you can lose your, like it's like going to a festival. It's the island of insanity and you can all have a lot of fun for a while, but you have to, <laughs> have to come back to reality. A different and areas and tents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Ooh. it's kind of, Idea for a festival. <laughs> yeah. The happy fuckers, the sad, no one wants to be yeah. the sad guys. Yeah. You've got the, the island sorry. of intoxicating fruit. You've got the island of just women. I'm going to have to see some tears here, folks, or you're going to have to get it. <laughs> come on, pony up, guys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, and then we get to the island of women. And this seems to be going great for, for Bran and the lads. But then Nocton just has to show up and go, no, I think not. He's Nocton gay. It was at the crack. I don't think. <laughs> that was my read of it. I don't know. Am I wrong? It had never occurred to me, actually. Was, is that the only one who occurred to me? Really? I mean, like, yeah, he's it was clearly not you. happy. <laughs> I could see plenty of reasons why somebody wouldn't be happy in the island of women it is the yeah. it is the discontent <laughs> of constant bliss and yeah. just like you know what just you know mm-hmm. i fucking it's the same reason she gets sick of turning an oak where it's like look yeah. this is fine but there's no friction i can't feel any, like there's nothing going on there's nothing is ever bad and so yeah. happiness is losing its meaning here and i can't cope and i need and like he's got people at home but also you know maybe Maybe he doesn't fancy any of the women and that's the problem. Maybe he's left his husband back home and he wants to go back. It could be. Could be that. What do you make of the island of women though, Kevin? Do you think that's like a place that would be a good place or a place that you would want to run away from? Yeah, I love I love it because it, it just implies like there's this Amazonia in, off the coast of Ireland, essentially, you know? <laughs> that's how I picture it. <laughs> and that it's just uh, totally at their whim, you know, to to accept this group of lads over to it. <laughs> yeah, I think Nocton just always yeah, occupies that place of of like like Oshin, this very Irish condition, because we are this this historically nomadic, disenfranchised people that we are constantly going abroad. And this all ties into the enduring nature of this story is that there's always the, the call of home, you know, mm. that, that yeah. that doesn't exist. And I, I really, in, in my version of this, I, I liked to kind of go inside Bran's head with that where he's kind of torn, where he's still in the, the paradise fantasy. And it's, I like the idea that he was actually kind of perfectly content, unlike Tiernan you know, it's not the hero it's actually him. I mean, we talked about whether or not he's a good king. To me, that's a side of him still accepting his responsibilities as a king. He has a loyalty to these people who literally followed him into nothing. Yeah. You know, with no, in pursuit of a fairy tree branch, you know? So, like, he kind of yeah. owes them, you know? And, like, this Definitely. idea that Nocton's kind of just, like, some, you know, he's putting on a brave face. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But Brian going, no, what's wrong? You're not happy here. I, you know, I, had I thought a, it really was a nice like, character beat. I think it is a nice character <laughs> yeah. beat for Brian because it does it does make him a little bit less of a kind of a waster king <laughs> in that he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I had a thought about the Island of Women as I was listening to your to your telling of it, actually. And it was just connected to something we've talked about a bit now and then, Aaron, which is the idea of like, 
matriarchy or there being like mm. trace evidence of maybe there was a matriarchal culture in Ireland like way 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 back way before the Breton laws and like because I could see it being like history plus nostalgia equals yeah when the women ran everything everything was perfect and then yeah, yeah. you know and like if you had if if that was a thing that happened a few it doesn't necessarily mean like I don't think it would have been um no such thing as a perfect human society but at the same time, I was kind of like, Jesus, I wonder if that's a little, a little, another little breadcrumb of, of that kind of idea that like once there was an there was a, this was an island of women and then all of the queens left and now they have their own paradise. Yeah. And if you're really lucky, they'll invite you for a bit and you get to see how like perfectly conflict free it all is. And, it's, you know, oh, it's, 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 it's a weird little fantasy. I don't know. It's but it kind absolutely of, it wouldn't be. The other, the other thing, it completely wouldn't be. It would be an absolute not. fucking disaster. Absolutely. That's like the other Any. illusion of it all. Like. Totally. I mean, there's no, there's no, like I said, there's no perfect human society and there's no way that any island of men or island of women is not, they're not going to be better than you. There might be. They might be awful in different ways because we're yeah. socialized very differently. Yeah. But like, you know, the island of passive aggressive washing dishes at you versus the island of <laughs> versus the island of testosterone. Like I don't know which I'd hate more, but probably both of them. Uh, <laughs> throw all this, the testosterone this on is, me if you want. This is the great frustration of, of Irish mythology, though, that we get this tease of a matriarchal society. You know, we get these whispers and hints of it, but we've sure. so little left of it. Mm -hmm. Like, case in point, Danu, like the two of day Danu, like we never meet this yeah. mother goddess, you know? She doesn't, come to, she doesn't come to Ireland with her people, you know? So we get this, like, we're told that maybe this was the kind of thing. And yeah, the Voyage of Bran is another, is it another breadcrumb, like you say, sort of to that. But it is quite frustrating. Like the poet Robert Graves talked about this in a huge event, his book, The White Goddess, where he mm -hmm. kind of, in a Campbell way, kind of traces kind of a monomyth or rather a, a, a history of poetic grammar, as he calls it. And he likes talking about Danu a lot as, as this, this mother goddess and this, this on top, figure that there was because the Dagda you can see the influence of of Zeus and Jupiter quite mm -hmm. clearly on him which then you know makes you feel like oh do we do is he much more recent than we realize or I don't know I I also think that the Dagda's a, the Dagda always I find him really fascinating because one of his things one of the one of his objects he's got his club which is a very oh, obvious club. kind of phallic yes. symbol but he's also got a cauldron which is a very yes. very obvious yonic symbol of like female fertility and abundance so mm -hmm. I always find that find that really intriguing about the Dagda that he has that duality where he's like yeah he's a, he's a warrior and he's a lover and he's a killer and he's a healer and like that's he's got such a strong feminine side to him mm. um you know with the harp and the seasons and the emotions that he's able to play like he's 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 fascinating to me because i think he moves stops time stops oh yeah stops <laughs> yeah. time so he and <laughs> Boan can have a longer day together like fucking hell 
He's a okay. smooth talker, there's no doubt. And come here, speaking of smooth talkers, Kevin, you've been an absolute treat. I look forward to hearing your interview with Mark Williams as well. This book, yes. is, uh, I, I know he speaks about Danu uh, at length as well in this book and the potential yeah, yeah. of being separated and the, the people of God was one of the things I picked up out of this book of were they the people of God before they were the people of, of the goddess Danu? Uh, yeah, something they throw in there just to make a different difference between uh, the yeah, Catholic phrase to a day to a day on its own appears much earlier than to a day Danan. Yeah, right, right. So it's it's fascinating, and I look forward to listening out for, for that on your podcast. Do you have anything else coming up on your podcast? Uh, before you can give um, us a plug? I think well, yeah. One thing uh, uh, it's it was World Poetry Day last uh, I think it was last week, but it's actually Irish Poetry Day on the 29th of April, uh, and I'm going to be doing a, a live streaming event uh, on poetry t- uh, in Irish mythology, of oh, tracing uh, tracing how we how poets have responded and how our responses have evolved throughout history. So I'm like from. WB8 to the different adaptations of the pawn and everything. And I'm going to lash in some of my own for good measure as well. Oh, Don't be hey. too dissuaded by that. <laughs> but, uh, so that'll be, that'll be on the 29th of April. That'll be on Irish Poetry Day. But That's... no, this, this has been so much fun because I record Fireside on my own. So I essentially say like I record it like to myself. You know, and it's just like I'm talking to myself. So actually chatting to other people about this is absolutely wonderful. Oh, it is wonderful. <laughs> and it, it is the kind of motivation, certainly, of like building up a bit of a, a, a collective, a, a, you know, a, group yeah, of a community. Yeah, community. Yeah. Of story enthusiasts, because right now the barricades are up and everyone is fortifying and, and society isn't quite as fluid as it was. So we're attempting to try and link up and, and you know, stay positive and just talk, you know, chat, chat yeah. away with you has been an absolute breath of fresh air. It's great to hear your style. And, and also, can I just say how much I love your intro music? It's so... <laughs> 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 and you even do the... Yeah. Speaking of conversation and community, jingle. oh, listen, it's class. Uh, the chat is going mad with ideas, they're they're like fucking into it. Of community and uh, chat, yeah. so yeah, so, I mean, uh, Sarah's gonna reach out, and also, uh, we have a storytelling um, uh, live stream on Sunday. Easter Sunday is coming up, okay? So that's our live stream for Easter. Uh, studio gave us a permission to come in and we're like, oh, we want to do a thing. We want to do a thing too. And then when the Harbour Bar got behind us and they're like, we want to pursue, yeah. So everyone's coming in to give something positive on Easter Sunday. We're doing a live stream uh, and it's going to be being related I'll say no more but it'll be a live stream big show event next week so tune in for that uh, that's our main news for now a voyage story coming next week as well the voyage mm-hmm. of Mail Dune the most mental of them all uh, <laughs> maybe I'm not sure they're all kind of mental it's got, it's got competition man it's got competition um, go on read out a few comments read <laughs> a few comments uh, Sunbeast mentioned that an island of constant laughter would give you abs of steel which point um, that's true yeah. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Clark came on to say love you lots as a Canadian I've been looking for tales my dad used to tell me when I was younger and I found you please keep doing what you're doing uh, you thank you so that. much Kevin and Joan uh, said some companies somewhere should make video games of Irish myth it would be capture the imagination of the youth and spread the word imagine uh, mm. so 
Joan and Kevin and Mark are now like fully going into we should make a video game, we should make a movie, where's the GoFundMe? Let's get Zack Snyder to direct it. We agree. <laughs> you're on it, guys. You're on it. Sign side quests in the book of invasions and Sunbeast is jumping in on that. And like, let's make it's sick of everything being uh, being Viking. Let's just, you know. Uh I do think Kevin, you know. Universe. <laughs> I reckon Odin's all right, like he's he's grand. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be, don't don't hate on the guy he's got one eye he's got his own problems do you reckon uh, but does he play the harp does he he does not play the harp do you reckon it's possible kevin to make a movie of irish mythology or related or is it just one, one thing that you're like yeah i'm just not going to touch it is it just uh, it's really good question series? yeah it's one that i think about a lot like because the natural thing to you'd want to constantly adapt is the tall right. you know and like I have I have a friend who like always it was her dream to make a film adaptation of the Tawn and she wanted like to, it to be in like old Irish like apocalypto, you know that it was really pagan and really tribal. But a thing that would need to be in any adaptation of Irish mythology that's harder to translate to film, I think, is the humor, is the yeah. absurdity. Yeah, you know, so you get like the Tawn that you would do this very like honest to God's like uh, you know to the barrel like serious adaptation of it but you have to include things like Ku Cullen squeezing the shit out of someone and making them incontinent you know and it was one of the few people he ever spared but it says like but what kind of a life was it after when he couldn't even <laughs> you know that is what makes Irish mythology as good as anything any as much as the drama of anything so yeah it's so for bizarre a good, for a film adaptation to really work, I think it would have to have that that yeah. element as well. I think you're right. I think it would it would have to be, it would have to have the grittiness of like Game of Thrones with the absurdity yeah. and the humor of something completely Monty different. Python. Yeah, Monty yeah, yeah. Like, like Terry Pratchett. It has to be yeah, that yeah. absurd. Yeah, Terry Pratchett. Because it would need because it does it needs that humor, and that's what that's what we find again. Talk with talking to yourself uh, on the podcast you, you record the story you're literally just talking to yourself it's very lonely and um, but then and so it's great to have these chats to break down those walls but also telling the story you kind of you, you go into that like little performance mode and and the humor gets lost whereas when you tell them live you're in mm. those beats people are just going wait what you get the feedback like, yeah feedback and then like the story becomes something that you didn't mean it to become because well the room is just in that humor right now they heard incontinency and they're not letting it go and now we're just gonna have to make shit jokes all night um <laughs> <laughs> until the time where now that their guard is down you can reach in and rip their hearts out and go see it was sad it was sad all along and i've been waiting <laughs> Quite, quite beautiful. Wow. <laughs> well, it's always my favorite thing to do with mythology. Soften them up with the humor That's and then great. go in for the like yeah. jugular. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Kevin, um, tell us where can people find your podcast and what's up next? Uh yeah. so um yeah, best best place to get me is uh, is on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can join Headstuff Plus, Headstuff Podcasts. Uh, that's where I upload some bonus content and all the other podcasts on Headstuff do that. Otherwise, you can get it on any podcast app, your Spotify, your app podcasts, any of those places. Right. Um, in no, yeah, in no danger of running out of material yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, good because for a while, for a while, like you think when you go through your first kind of doing like the big beats. You think, oh God, I'll, I'll be done soon, you know? 
And then like you realize, oh no, it just keeps getting deeper. Mm-hmm. Wider and wider and wider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And like, look, go ahead. Like what I'm doing at the moment is like the stories before the two of the Danon arrives. So like like the first landing on Ireland by like the granddaughter of Noah, which yes! I never thought I never thought there was like like narratives too like i just thought these were like details in like the book of invasions but they're all their own stories and you got like finton mcbokra who's like just been here yes. since the very beginning <laughs> and then occupies this wizard part like he fights on the side of the fearbog in the first battle of moitera like he's in the court of john mccool and it's like another it's like discovering another kind of emperor palpatine figure has been there the whole time right i'm always it's, on the cusp of finton What's he doing there? He's giving advice. He's po- where is he? he doing? Yeah, where is he? Where, where is, is he, he now? Uh, that's very exciting because we're that. actually starting uh, uh, our next series will be the Book of Invasions as well. So for listeners, we'll be able to hear yes. listen to both different versions. Yeah, that'll be brilliant. That's, it's the best thing about it. Yeah, the endless interpretation of these, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've even gone back and forth and like told stories that we've told our circus told us. Yeah. So it's story I've told we're so. going back oh, over some good. ones we've done already because we did a Kessler was one of the first ones we did and now and now we're going to be doing it again which I think is our first time no it's our second time revisiting a story because we Sive. did it with Sive as well yeah. uh, we told it from one character's perspective and then we told it from another character's perspective oh that's good if you, if you really want to cry go back and listen to Sive's story from Sive's perspective <laughs> it's dark anyway on a lighter note it's been <laughs> note it's been fun. <laughs> Uh, having you uh, on the chats and I hope you're keeping well and keeping safe, keeping sound. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in or listening in after the mm-hmm. fact. That's grand. We'll be going live uh, next week uh, for Easter Sunday. So catch us. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and we'll be catching up with you there. Follow Fireside Bard and I'll go over to Instagram and you'll find his stuff there as well. And on the 29th of April, isn't it, Kev? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 29th of April, Kevin will be going live on Irish Poetry Day. So there's loads for the diaries and there's loads coming up. And we'll also be doing uh, a new storytelling course in April. So if, you, if you're if you one of the people who've put your name on the list, great. If you want to get on that list, uh, let us know. We haven't set a date yet because we've loads of shit on and we're going to do it very soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's Oisin. Um, he's appeared on my screen um, <laughs> but anyway um, so that must be we are finished uh, thank you very much Kevin Surika any final words for us uh, thanks for listening lads catch you again